You know, there comes a time in a person's life when you have to look back and reflect. Do you know what I mean, Ed? You look back and you reflect and you think, what is the total sum of what I have done to this point? Have I done anything? Has it amounted to anything of significance? Have I done something of worth? And that's when you put out. Well, can I, can I do my quick calculation for myself? Yeah, I wish you would. Yeah, please. The math is pretty simple. Zero is the sum. <laughs> I'm glad your optimism remains as perfect oh, I'm sorry. as ever. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. No, this is a good intro. Uh, please continue, Jared. I apologize. I took I took well, the air. I, I, I think uh, I think I think we got it. I think we got the gist of it, and uh, we can roll on. Hello, friends. Hi, hi. Welcome back to When Doves Podcast. I am Jared. I am Ed. And we are <laughs> we are back. We are back once again to uh, discuss. Uh, yeah, Ed's got a little. So Ed and I are back on Zoom today, and Ed's got a little. These funny little toys. I wish y'all could see them. They're little boxing gloves that he has on his index fingers. I don't know. Can you can you hear that? If we're real quiet, can they hear that sound? Maybe that's Ed punching the small punching bag. That he has is that a stress reliever? Is that what that's for? Yes, I, uh, I, I, my work life has changed a bit. I've, I've moved up, I guess, theoretically in the world. Um, but of course, with those types of movements, come a lot more stress. So this was a, <laughs> this was a gift. I think someone got me a while back. Had stayed in the box, Jared, for quite some time because there never oh. really was a, a, a desperate need for that. But. I hit right. the old emergency glass recently, <laughs> pulled those bad boys out and said, I think I might need some stress release. And they, yeah. they, they are, they do provide a nice little laugh. So, well, that's good. That's all we can ask for in the end, really, Absolutely. which is uh, also, I think what we're doing for people who are coming here looking for good critical analysis, just a good laugh, just a good gentle laugh. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's what we're doing here. So uh, yeah. So welcome back everybody today. We're going to go over Prince's 1993 Greatest Hits compilation that's called The Hits 1 and 2 slash The B-Sides. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you, do you want to share any initial thoughts on that? I do. I do. Naively, back back in the day, like going into the 90s, I think I heard some rumors that a compilation or a Greatest Hits compilation was coming out. And I said to myself, or out loud to people, anyone who cared to listen, Prince is never going to release the greatest hits compilation because right. he's no not way. about looking in the rearview mirror. He's not about the past. He's always about no. the future. About the future. He'll, he'll never agree to doing a greatest hits comp. That was my no thought. Way. I was right. a little wrong though, however. Now yes. let me ask you, because I think I would think, and you know, again, your fandom goes beyond Prince, of course, and you, you're a, you're a super fan of, of uh, folks like, um, you know, Mor- Van Morrison and Bowie and such like that. So I'm just curious. First of all, let me say this. Let's say for a Prince fan, like super fan like me, I was a little disappointed in accomplishing because it felt like, uh, hey, I've done some of my better work already. I'm just doing a retrospective, which I think hit me a little bit in the wrong way. Did you have a similar feeling with some other artists when you've seen like I know Bowie had a hits compilation, maybe a couple of different ones, actually. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. I know Van Morrison has a couple of different like at the movies and certain things. Right. How do you how do you as a, a big music fan? view the idea of a comp like a greatest hits compilation type of approach to an artist. this is a great question i uh i think generally speaking i'm not particularly a fan of them um because i think it only shows you 
the you know um a small capsule of of this artist's work you know whoever that may be he or she or they or you know whoever that may that person may be um having said that i think what they do serve the role they do serve is as an entry point right for for people who maybe aren't as familiar with their work and especially then if you have something like for example this collection that features rarities a few not many but a few and then the b-sides so people can listen and get a sense of oh this is there's a lot going on here with this artist now having said that um i think that the number of greatest hits albums i've owned in my life is very minimal uh i think very minimal i i had uh I think I had Steve, the Steve Miller band's greatest hits when I was like in high school. Sure. You know, um, but everyone in high school had that greatest hits album. And um, yeah, but I, I never really, I never really gravitated to them in general. I would say the same for myself. The one artist that I think you'll find laughable that I actually got a greatest hits uh, disc at the, when discs were popular back, say in the 90s, um, was Dylan. And I, I sure. got it because I, I really didn't know his material. And I went to see him in concert knowing really only some of his bigger hits. And the thing I found interesting was I bought his greatest hit package, which was just a single disc with all the big ones, as you imagine, like, like a Rolling Stone, et cetera. So, but I bought, ended up buying his second greatest hits compilation, which was like a volume two, but it was a double disc. Yeah. I found that way more interesting because it was so many deep cuts from his albums. And it made me want to go back into his catalog and, and and buy buy those albums fully. And I think the thing for me, I don't know if you feel the same way, Jared. I think there are certain artists that maybe more their orientation in terms of the way they do their art is more to create hits, like they're a hit machine, right? They're sure. Machine. Yeah. I think of ELO. I think of some other folks. I don't know why I pick up any ELO. It's not a bad thing to be a hit machine, but no. but like I. But there's other artists like Prince would certainly be in this category. I would think of Bowie. Like they create albums. Like there's an right. album approach a basic feel vibe about the album that you do kind of want to view something as a full piece of art from first song to last in, in that full album arc. And yeah, I think when you pull those songs singles out independently, you don't quite get, you know, obviously don't get that full, that full arc of the artistry that the, that the musician's presenting, but to your point too, it is a nice, I mean, I don't know if I would have bought blonde on blonde and all the different, um dylan albums if i had it maybe snuck in through the you know greatest sure. no I, I think that's fair and i also think i mean there's a couple other things here that pop to mind for me one is that when you have some musicians whose catalog is really big and vast like a dylan or a prince or you know the stones for example i don't know how many greatest hits co- compilations oh, the stones have. Hot rocks. Like have i forgot to mention hot rocks that was my they, huge... they have hot rocks there's one that's called the singles there's one that's called licks there's there's a bunch of them true yeah um they also serve as a way, I think, of curating these vast catalogs. But the other thing is, and like, let's not let's not mistake this for one moment. It's a cash grab. Oh, sure. Right? And 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 most of those greatest hits albums, I don't, I, I mean, I don't have the exact numbers on this, but I would guess that the overwhelming majority of those were the label saying we're going to do this because we want to sell some records, and because perhaps that artist's current catalog doesn't sell as well as it once did. That's certainly true for Prince in the yeah. instance of this, right? I mean, he was still moving millions of units, but it wasn't Purple Rain sales, right? No. It wasn't, he it, it just hadn't hit that again. and never did again. Right. Um, so I think that they're really interested in like, 
we got this person on our stable while we while we got them. Let's milk them for what we can. Because, you know, again, let us make no mistake, and this is going to come up very soon. Record labels want to make money. Sure. They're not as interested in making art, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be a big, big issue right down the road uh, from yeah. where we're going right here. Um, so that that's my take on that. Now, having said that, I don't know what the current stat is. I should look this up. For many years, the biggest selling album of all time. Eagles. Was the Eagles. Greatest Hits Volume 2. Not even one. Yeah. Volume two. And it's still up there as one of the it's certainly one of the top two or three of all time. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. And the Eagles suck. So I don't know what to say oh, about them. Oh, I I don't get that strong of an evil feeling about them. I got a peaceful evil feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's all I curse Arizona. It happened to be that CD. You know how this works, guys, with, with music. That said though that music on on the stereo driving through a desert. In Arizona, late at night, bowl of stars, and you're like, this just feels right. Awesome. Anyway, let's move on. Anyway. From that. So what we're gonna do today oh, is man. Uh, God. <laughs> I've never felt so like remember that Cold zero whatever I threw out earlier in the in the you podcast that came back roaring at me just now. You don't feel like uh, you're under a, a bowl of stars at night right now? You don't feel that peaceful? I feel, I feel a not peaceful, empty feeling. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Maybe we should move on to facts and figures. <laughs> well, before we do that, before oh. we do the facts and figures, yes. I wanted to explain what we're doing today. Because we, yes, we decided, idea. Sorry. Yes, we decided to divvy this up. So because there are so many tracks and uh, and we've already covered just about everything that are the hits, everything that's the hits we've already talked about. So Ed and I made the decision that we don't need to go over those again. Um, you know, maybe you could argue about the sequencing of of those tracks and um, and and what was left off and what you would have put on and things like that. But we, we're not going to relitigate that. We don't want to do that. Um, we we know that it doesn't really cover the breadth of his career, right, Ed? I mean, we've established that. Yeah, plus, I hate that they're they're radio edits Let's and they're radio edits, and we hate that. We hate the radio edits. So okay. what we decided we were going to do is we're going to go over the four bonus tracks that are on Hits Volume 1, Hits Volume 2, and then we're going to go over just the B-sides. And because there's so many B-sides, we thought what we would do is we're going to split this into two episodes. We're going to do the four unreleased tracks on the hits, and then the first eight cuts on the B-sides, and then the next episode will be the remaining 12 cuts. So that's what we're going to do. Yep, I agree. I co-signed that approach. That's right. In fact, it was your idea, and I give you full credit for that because it was a good idea. Thanks. Because otherwise, we would have been cramming twenty-four tracks in one eight-hour episode. This one's already a little long. Let's yeah, be honest. I think we might have to, yeah, do your editing that we talk about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yes. So shall we now? Shall we do it? Let's do the greatest hits of your facts and figures. <laughs> Very good. Here we go. The greatest hits of our facts and figures. So the hits and the B-sides was released on September 10th, 1993. The total length of the full collection is 230 minutes and 42 seconds. Wow. So you'd be you'd be here for a while if you wanted yeah. to listen to the whole thing. Of course, it was released on Warner Brothers and Paisley Park Records. Um, on the charts in 1993. It did reach number 19 on the Billboard 200 charts in 2016 after his death and made it all the way to number four. Mm. So quite a leap up. 
Um, now, Ed, I promised you, you might recall, I have a little mini trivia question for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it. All right, this. so here we go. So you could, as folks may remember, you could buy all of these things separately. You could buy the Hits Volume 1, or you could buy the Hits Volume 2, or you could buy a third set, which were both Hits discs and the disc of the B-sides. So, Ed, as of April 2016, which hit disc... One or two, do you think sold the most records? Oh, wow. I'm just going to take a wild guess and say one. It was two. No shite. By about just a, just under 300,000 more copies. Hits one, as of April 2016, when he passed away, hits one had sold uh, 1.4 million copies, and hits two sold 1.7. Mm. I'm guessing that's because Purple Rain's on two. Well, there's a couple things, right? I mean, I was trying to like compare in terms of like his number one hits, right? You have right. a couple, a couple huge monsters on two. You have Little Red Corvette, Raspberry right. Beret, Kiss, and Purple Rain. Right. If I went to one and looked at like huge ones. It'd be When Doves Cry. Right. Let's go crazy. Maybe 1999. That's it, though. And then, but then you have more more recent stuff like Diamonds and Pearls. So and Alphabet Street. Right, right. Yeah. So okay, but not yeah. by a ton, but but two. That's not a ton, but 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 I thought that was interesting that that, that one was sold more. Yeah. Um, there were four singles released from the hits. Do you want to give a shot at them? I bet you could guess what they were. Um yes, sure. I know well, listen, I know it's one's pink cashmere. Correct. That was released on August 31st, 1993. It reached 50 on the charts. And 14 on the R&B chart. Did he release Peach? He did. It was released on November 18th, 1993. It did not chart at all. Mm. I did not know he had two additional uh, releases from this. So He did. And and I'm going to give you a hint. One of them was UK only. Hmm. Pope? Pope was not the UK one. According to what I found, it was released on February 23rd, 1994. But I couldn't find a listing for it at all, so I presume that means it did not chart. Yeah. Did he release the Nothing Compares to You live? He did not. You know what? He, I don't know if you'll get this. Maybe I should just tell you. It was oh, a re-release. He oh. re-released Controversy in the UK. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have known that at all. December That's- 11th, 1993, and it reached five on the charts in the UK. Really? Yes. Wow. That's interesting. Huh. I thought that was interesting. So. The deal, let me give you a little history here, which I'm sure a lot of folks know, but um, Prince didn't want to do this. He didn't want to release the Greatest Hits album. Instead, what he wanted to do was release the debut album by the new power generation. Um, and it was going to be just them, with sans him, but of course it would really be him, but we all know that. But Warner's refused. And the um, the title of that album, Ed, do you remember what the title of that album was? I'm not going to say it. Oh, was it Gold something? It was Gold N-Word was the title of that which gets a release later in the 90s. It does get a release later. Uh, yeah. Independent. They did sort of an independent release on yep. that. Yep. But yep. Warner didn't want to re- release it, and so they did this instead. And Prince wanted nothing to do with it. So Warner Brothers paid him a stipend to basically stay out of the whole affair. So Prince himself had nothing to do with this release, really. Wow. Um, I'll say this, too. I thought this was interesting. This is about the hits portions, not the B-sides. Of all the previous albums, only Batman is not represented in the hits section. Right. And Bat Dance, Bat Dance was a huge hit. Yeah, number one. 
And 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 it was not on the hit. So Batman was the only record that didn't have any songs represented in the greatest hits albums. If I recall, I think you said at, during the Batman episode that there was some Warner Brothers contractual thing that the movie, the movie itself or Warner Brothers owned the music for that movie. So he lost right. control of the. So like, yeah. yeah, you would have saw probably Bat Dance, Party Man, Scandalous. Those all would have been included. Trust, oh. Trust might have been on there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I didn't, there, there weren't a ton, but I did find a couple of reviews. So the original Rolling Stone review from, from when it came out, it gave it four and a half stars, the, the, the collection in total, in total. And I thought this was interesting. I guess at the same time, there was a, 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 a new archival re- release, or maybe it was a live release from the cure. So the review does them both simultaneously and compares Prince to Robert Smith. That's interesting. It was really, really interesting. Um, and, that, you know, sort of saying that they were kind of inverses. They were 80s contemporaries uh, sort of thing. Uh, and then I, I pulled out a couple quotes from it. Um, quote, the, this Prince package is a dizzying sprawl, they said. And then in regards to the B-sides, they say, the B-sides range from the obscure to the absurd to the favorites of the fixated. There are also a few outstanding tracks. If she's always in my hair or another lonely Christmas or any indication of the reported 500 songs Prince has in his vaults, his label just might get its money's worth, even if he keeps his word and never makes another studio album. There you go. There you go. Now the Rolling Stone album guide says something a little different. The Rolling Stone album guide gives it four stars and says it's a box full of great music, but the sequencing could be sharper and the strict division between two discs of hits and one of B-sides feels too neat to do his frequent his frequent agents justice. Gotcha. That's what they had to say about that. And then Bobby C. Oh, Bobby, let it fly, Bobby C. Robert Criscow, the dean of American rock critics, he had this to say. Take as a given that this is an overpriced exploitation or indulgence depending on your point of view, that is, whether you're a prince or not. The two discs of A-sides are indeed choice, but most come from albums that yield more choice, not to say choicier, stuff. And their recontextualization isn't as jaw-dropping as an admirer of our greatest popular musician might hope. Hmm. Whether the duplications merit the tariff, you can decide for yourself. So would the B-sides justify purchase on their own? Were the little man so generous as to make them available as such? Or were the world to end, whichever comes first? And the answer is, maybe. The porny stuff, especially Irresistible Bitch, Scarlet Pussy, The Wicked Feel You Up, and the absolutely classic Erotic City, is must-hear for any sex fan. The funky stuff is funky. The dog bit is like Bow Wow. And the ballads are of every description, including God awful B plus. I have to say, just to uh, chime in with Bobby C. I mean, and this, and just, I'm just highlight your point about the money grab side of this. I mean, Warners isn't stupid, right? And a real, real fan doesn't really care about hits one and two, especially if right. they're radio edits. Right. And if, you, as you, as you saw, they they separated those two out. The only way, the only way. You could buy the B-sides is to buy all three discs as a package. Yeah, it was a total money grab, right? I mean, I I would have certainly, if they were all separate discs, I would have just bought the B-sides, even with the Absolutely. new material on one and two. 
I, yeah. I, I probably would just bought the B side. So, and I, you know, what I want to just sort of reflect for a moment on on the phenomena that is was the B side, which is something that doesn't really exist anymore. You know, like yeah. back in the day when point. you would buy vinyl singles, yep. they would put an extra song in the flip side, or when you would get those little cassette singles, cause singles, there would be an extra song or two. And the reason that the way they got you to buy them was because they put on a song that you didn't know. Right. And, and that, that phenomena doesn't exist anymore. That's not something it that is. happened. So exactly. like for, for a lot of people in 1993, having a collection of these B sides where, wherein before you could only get them on vinyl copies and God knows if you had them was a, a huge thing to be able to get them. And so I am sure that many a Prince fan, you know, forked over their, their, their cash to get, to just get the B-sides disc in these couple of unreleased tracks. That's what they wanted. No. And I hear you. And I think when, when, when I did the uh, interview with uh, Joe Oliver on in season, when we were talking about B-sides, I was lucky in that I was a DJ at our high school and yeah. we had a little bit of money to buy singles. And the only reason I had any access to B-sides is I would make sure we bought Prince singles as they came in. And I would always tape, make a cassette tape of all his material. And those B-sides right. just blew my mind. But I want to also come back and say this, Jared, and you can help me with this because, again, I wasn't a huge or my parents were sometimes influenced by what your parents were buying when you were a kid, too, of course. Um, we didn't have a ton of 45s in our house of, of singles. Um, but my sense was that I uh, know a lot of other artists or your, I guess you're, I don't want to say run of the mill. That sounds very um, limiting or discounting other artists, but a lot of times B-sides were just another song off the album. It, it wasn't yes. like they were releasing something that was, you couldn't get any other way. It right. was just another way for a, a record company to, to give you another little hit of the album with the idea you could, you go out and buy that actual 33 and put a little more money down on the artist. Prince was unique. I'm not sure how many other artists were, were so defined or, or, or so um, committed to making sure B-sides pretty much were brand new songs you could only get on the single, could not get on an album. I think that's correct. And, and it also speaks to his prolific nature. Absolutely. Right? He, he would have so many songs for any given project, as we've covered many times, that and, and some of them he, you know, for whatever reason, he decided, you know, this song didn't make the cut to be on the record but he wanted people to hear it. So that's why I think a lot of these things were B-sides. I think that's precisely it. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that those are our facts and figures on the hits slash the B-sides. I love it. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of those facts and figures. As They're we say, like, I can't say enough. Fan feature favorite. <laughs> facts and figures with Jared. Facts and figures. That with might Jared. be just your own podcast to point, just facts and figures with Jared. Yeah, just random things like random how facts. long the Brooklyn Bridge is and, you know, what is the distance from here to the moon? It's just going to be random things. Facts what and figures. Was, Jared, what was that book that was popular a couple of years ago? Was it Freakonomics? Was that just like those random? Freakonomics. Yeah. There's going to be something akin to that, Jared, will do. It'd be very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're we're working on nailing down a publisher for that project because there's so many offers, as you can imagine. Ah, listen, we don't yeah. have enough time. Don't have enough we time. don't have enough time for that. Uh, shall we dive into the tracks? Let's dive. Let's dive. So what we're going to do, like we said, we're going to do first the unreleased tracks from the two hits records. And on hits number one, the first unreleased track is the live version of Nothing Compares to You. 
take? Guess what it told me? I'm listening. It said, Rosie. What? Smile half mine, no matter what you do. You want to tell me why? And certainly nothing compares to you. I mean, nothing anywhere ever compares to you. If I had a dime for every time Jared used that phrase, Ed pales by comparison. <laughs> I'd be making a lot of old school yeah, calls I mean, that's... that way. A lot of, I'd be spending a lot of time in the phone booth making some long distance calls. Um, Jared, I appreciate it. Uh, th- this song for me. Yes. It's nice. It's a nice. Wow, that's it. It's nice. I have some more things to say, but generally it's nice. It's not a standout to me. It's not something that 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 blows my socks off. Frankly, it really is not. Oh, interesting. I love it. I love it. But I have to say, I think uh, like with most music, when was your first exposure to this song? So this song for folks, we we probably talked about this. Well, probably not. We had no reason to talk about this. We we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it. This song, just for folks, for the Prince heads probably know this, for new folks, just to give you some um, background. So Prince wrote this song um, for a project called The Family, which was uh, a, an album that was released in 1986. It was, it was sort of this in-between. It was supposed to be a replacement of The Time. Uh, the Time had just broken up. He had fired a couple people, and then the, the, the band kind of imploded. He pulled together uh, his fiancée, Susanna Melvoin, in as a singer. Paul Peterson was brought in as a singer. And at some point, we'll have to. This is one of my favorite side project albums. There's a lot of mixed feelings about this album within the Prince community about how good and bad it is. I think we're going to get there. We're, that's yeah. on the list. Eventually, we're going to get there. Long for long way for me to say this is where this song originally was was recorded and released was on this family album sung by Paul Peterson um, with with Susanna Melvoin as supporting uh, vocal as well. And and just remind everybody who Susanna is in case anybody's forgotten. Oh, I think I said it really quickly, but his his, his fiance at, fiance at the time and Wendy's sister. That's what I meant. Yeah, Wendy's sorry, sister. Wendy, yeah. Wendy's twin sister, Suzanne, and Prince's fiance. I adored this track on the family album. I would get chills hearing it. There's an incredible sax solo from Eric Leeds in it, but it's very sparse. This is the thing, and this is what I want to comment on. It's a very sparse production and arrangement on the family. It's just it's it, there's really there's no drum on it, nothing. It's just synth, very moody synths. Eric with a great solo vocals kind of playing through the uh 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 it was yeah, all vo- right. vocalized there's no instrumentation on it adored it. it it just crushed me because of its sort of emptiness it was sort of haunting i think Sinead's cover which of course is the one people most are most familiar with has a similar vibe has a little bit more into arrangement but it's still very stripped back it lets her shine through and it makes her so vulnerable in the vocal and it's just devastating to hear now you go to this live version, it's fully arranged. There's a dr- live drum kit involved. There's a lot of instrumentation on it. And there's a trade-off in vamping on the vocal that honestly, it's playful, it's fun. But to me, it actually takes away from the womp, the impact, the crushing of the song, of this whole sense of devastation of being alone after the end of a relationship. That escapes me here in this version because it's just, hey, here's this song. It's a great song. Let's vamp it. Let's vamp it up. And I love Rosie on the vocal. She's great. I've talked about it. I think she's one of the best pairings of Prince's, her and Prince's voice are just great together. But it's fun. It's great to listen to. It's, it's interesting, but it does not have the impact to me that those other two versions that I'm aware of have. 
That that's really interesting. And so let me start by saying I have not heard the family version, and I look forward to doing that when we get there down the road when we do side projects. So I can't speak to that. Uh, I will speak to this. I I, I was uh, and still am really a giant fan of Sinead O'Connor. I think that her first two albums, The Lion and the Cobra, and the one that Nothing Compares to You is on, which is called I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. I think those two albums are kind of perfect, like post college rock, late 80s alternative sound kind of thing. I, I think they're really exceptional, exceptional records. I, I don't think Sinead ever did anything as good as these two records again. Mm-hmm. Um and and one day we'll maybe we'll do a deep dive into covers, right? Maybe we'll do that yeah, somewhere sure. down the road too. Yeah. So I think that you're you you hit it on the head with the fact that Sinead's version. It, first of all, it has, she's very unique in that she's able to somehow convey really piercing anger with incredible vulnerability at the same time. Yeah. I'm not sure how she's able to do that, but she, but she does. Um, and it's really, really stunning. And of course, the Sinead O'Connor version is also famous because of the video. Yes. The the very simple video that's just a focus on her face. And I'm sure people have seen it. And if you haven't, YouTube it because it's really something. And the and when she has that one single tear, remember that, Ed? The yep. one single tear, that's what made her a star. It was yep. that. That's what made her a star. Yep. And that she was beautiful and she had this voice that came from the heavens, like just unbelievable. Yep. Yep. Now, having said that, I actually I really, really, really like the Prince live version with Rosie Gaines here. Let me say it was recorded live on January 27th, 1992. I couldn't find out where it was. I was trying to track down where they recorded it, but I, I couldn't, I, but it's live. So I, I think it's a stunner. And I think that it's a, it's such a, I personally feel it's such a triumph of a song. It's hard for me to understand why he chose not to just keep it for himself. Yeah. Uh, the first go around. Um, I would go so far as to say I think this version is really a duet, and I think it changes the understanding of the song. Yeah. I think it makes it a ballad of lost lovers, jointly lost lovers, who mm-hmm. are lamenting the loss of of the other one, um, sort of in their own little sort of bubbles of 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 uh, you know being alone, uh, yeah. solitude or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't have that piercing anger, anger and vulnerability that Sinead has, but I think it does have certainly more soul. And it has, I think, more yearning um, mm. in its way. I don't think that it's better. I don't think it's worse. It's just very, very different. And um, I think, I personally think, it's the single best use of Rosie Gaines in mm. the Prince catalog that there that there was, in my opinion. Um, I, the I think only exception I would make is is maybe her her work on Jughead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let let us not forget. <laughs> Pour one out for Jughead, but I do think it's I, I do think it's one of his best ballads of all time. Um, oh, yeah, definitely, I think yeah. it's in the top five, maybe the second best. So that that is my take on nothing compares to you. And you know what? I can I can I just uh, come back at you and say, Jared, I feel like nothing compares to you as well. Thanks. All right, Thanks, we're going to move on. We're going to move on. <laughs> uh, the next track. Uh, this is a song Jared's somewhat familiar with. It's a song called Pink Cashmere. You're making you a girl. 
have enough time for you to we, talk through your absolute adoration for this song we probably don't i mean let's just be real about it we probably don't um this could be a whole podcast in of itself i uh i've said many many times that this may be my single favorite print song of all time mm-hmm. uh i mean it, it you know of course those are variable things but pink cashmere is always it never drops like lower than three right it's always it's always in the in the top of the mix. And I've been I of course have been thinking about it, prepping for this pod. It's hard for me to articulate why exactly. I think there's something mysterious in this track. It feels it feels hooded somehow. It feels hidden slightly. There's a slight muted quality to it. The pink isn't like bright and shiny and neon. It's it's soft and it's out of focus somehow. And the the way the song just sort of lazily drifts along. The strings coming in on the second verse, sort of filling it up. It, it just makes me want to float away on this song like forever. Honestly, if there was if there was like a version of this song that was a half an hour, 45 minutes, I, I would just I'm I'm here for that. I would just listen to it forever and ever and ever. I would listen and listen and listen and listen. Um and this is also I think my favorite kind of love song, a song about new love, that what it's like to be consumed by it, how you can't think of anything else. And I think that. The lyrics in this song, I think, are deceptively complex. Mm. Here I go again, falling in love, in love all over. You know, uh, praying that I that I don't get burned. Right? You know, saying that I know that this is a mistake, or it could be a mistake, but I I can't help it, and I don't want to help it. And isn't that isn't that what love is like? When you find and understand love, that it, it it can feel so potent that even though you've been you've been burned in the past and you've made maybe terrible mistakes in the past and you've hurt people or you've been hurt you want to feel that way again and and uh i i think that's what this song is and i'm all the way in on it i just and and like like that's what it is you know he's saying i'm here i'm here for this love even when i shouldn't be and and that the power of that new love is utterly intoxicating I think his vocal, the, the way his vocal ranges on this track, from his falsetto to his deep low range, echoing and harmonizing with himself, and I think stunning fashion, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, that guitar solo. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know why this isn't talked about in his all time best list. I I don't know. I think it should be. It weeps and it yearns and it begs you to listen and to touch. It has these little sharp bites and deep valleys echoing the strings behind it. And it's, it cuts across them, that gorgeous rounded tone that you've heard me talk about before. And then the song ends on that little up twist of a note in the guitar. Mm. And it's a little, for me, it's a little question mark. It's telling you that the story isn't over, that there's more to this, that there's always more. I just, I adore this song. <laughs> so so much and i think it should have been a number one hit but in some ways i'm glad it's not because then it makes it feel like it's more like it's mine in some secret little hidden way that it's not the hit that i think it should be i just adore pink cashmere i love it i will play this on repeat over and over and over again 
Love that's it. it. All right. I love and I love hearing you talk about it. I mean, that's the beauty of this type of work is to talk through like a song like this that you love like you do. Um, just a little history for folks. <clears throat> so this song, <clears throat> though, it, it was released as a new uh, it was unreleased. So that means it could have been recorded whenever. So just to give you a little background on it. It actually was recorded in 1988. Um, Prince had met and began dating a singer named Anna Garcia <clears throat> at a concert in London. Um, and he called her Anna Fantastic. Anna Fantastic. And there's some relation to Anna Fantastic in the song Power Fantastic, which you'll you'll be hearing about. And and Raven to the Joy Fantastic, which was also somewhat uh, inspired by uh, by this particular person. I'm going to read you a quote. This is um, a Prince actually commissioned, wrote the song and presented it to her for her 18th birthday. Um, she wrote about this on her Facebook page. I'm just going to quote what she said. She said, I walked into the house from a long trip visiting my family in the UK to spend my 18th birthday with Prince. And there was a beautiful song playing. I didn't realize what it was about until moments later when he brought out a coat that was my 18th birthday gift. <laughs> it was the most romantic thing I've ever experienced till this day and my best birthday ever. Yeah, I would imagine there's not many people in this world who can say someone wrote me a song about called like a pink cashmere. And I wrote a song called Dirty Sock one time and I was easily that was easily delivered to a friend of mine at the same time. But but <laughs> pink cashmere and a pink cashmere coat is pretty sweet. So um, that's a great story about how he, you know, the, the genesis of that song. But just to go back to, to kind of just highlight the things you were already saying. I love this song so much. It, it, it's not certainly the 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 depth that you love it but i do love right. it and and i love the way you describe it because it honestly it's similar to the way i felt when i first heard it and i would play it on repeat when this compilation came out in 93 it just floats the song has a floating quality it does. i think you said the release date was in septemberish or october what was the release date uh the release yeah let me go back and check the release was uh august 31st okay so we're getting into the fall so yeah. I probably bought it around the time it came out or subsequent, like in September-ish of that year. Right. It reminds me of like Technicolor leaves just kind of floating yeah. slowly to the ground on a crystal blue, like beautifully blue, like perfectly, impossibly blue fall sky. That's right. That's what I see in my mind when I hear this song. That's what I feel is that it's just it's just that kind of song. You know, the strings are gorgeous. His mini vamp at the end of the song is gorgeous. His backing vocals are on point. Um, I always find it a little amusing for whatever, for well, for this reason, because Prince, you know, he's not, he wasn't the tallest guy, as we know. So I always love when he would say at the end of that, that vamp, come on back, come on back to your little man. <laughs> I, always, I don't think, I don't know if you necessarily intended that to be funny. I'd always struck me funny. Um, and to your point about the guitar, this song proves a guitar solo can be killer without being raucous or complicated. That's correct. It's beautiful because of its simplicity. That's right. And it serves the song perfectly well. And, and this, I think, is interesting because I think the way his, he treats the guitar solo here, in my mind, if you're to say, where would there be another example of this type of work? I would say, never take the place of your man. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Which, what, which was your entry into the Prince world. So totally right. makes to me. Yeah. It's the same guitar tone. It's the same kind of tone. Yeah. yeah 100%. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of <laughs> <laughs> eight hours later, eight hours later. Uh, no. So if you don't know pink cashmere, go listen to it. So we will move on now. So th now we're on to the 
Hits 2, the second disc, and the first unreleased track on that one is called Peach. Ed, you're a bit of a peach. Do you like peaches? I love peaches. Are you a Do Jersey you? Are you peach, peach guy, Jared? Are you a Jersey peach guy? Yeah, I'm, yeah. Peaches are my favorite. I like um, white peaches. They're like late August. Those are in season. The I white ones. So, the white peach. That's that's a new yeah. addition to me. I, I didn't. I wasn't really aware of white peaches until the last couple of years. Yeah, they're good. They're they're they have a real sweet flavor to them. Yeah, I'm a they're big good. fan of peaches. Love them. Peaches are good. The peach thing. You like Georgia? I'll tell you what. I don't like peach Jolly Ranchers though. Anything that's like flavored peach, like peach schnapps, peach candy, hate it. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Like, if you want a peach, give me a peach. Give me a peach. Give me a peach. What do you think about this peach? I wrote. Here's my note. Nice, fun, old school misogyny is what I wrote down. <laughs> um, yeah. A line like when her titties bounce in a song. Yeah. It's like that's a what? Look, rock. it's a rocker. The guitar work is insane. Um, but yeah, the lyric, I mean, and it's funny because I was trying to trying to give it somewhat of an objective view and trying to give him a pass a little bit on it. It's hard though with the way the lyrics roll with this song because it's so it's so um objectifying also. Oh my god. I mean, that. Yeah. But I also am like, okay, was he kind of, did he realize was it a little bit tongue in cheek because maybe that's why he put all the cartoon noises in there to kind of make it seem silly. Like for people who are of any, or are old enough to know this, like that old cartoon idea of the, of the wolf with the eyes popping out at the hot girl. Like, is that what he's trying the feeling he's trying to get across here? Um, so I don't know. I mean, in terms of the guitar work and everything, I love it. It's pretty simple. It's a pretty straightforward song. The other thing I think is noticeable about it is I'm pretty sure you'll not hear another song in Prince's catalog where he would utter a phrase saying, I'm so ugly ever. Yeah, that's a rarity <laughs> for him. In there, which I think is very interesting. I don't know. I don't know if you happen to find and maybe while you're giving your feedback, I can search, quickly search. I don't know when this was originally written, this song. I'm curious to, of when this song was originally um, written or recorded. I'm not sure. I, well, I couldn't find that, but I, it wasn't this song. This isn't this isn't this a Maite song? It was written for Maite, was it not? Oh uh, well, I mean that. Well, that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about with our latest review of the Love Symbol album, with songs like "I Want to Melt with You" and uh, "The Max" and all that. So yeah, I think this. I think I read somewhere that this was a Maite song, and I mean, yeah, it's kind of a grinder. I mean, his uh, his vocals in a really interesting place here, sort of a low range but with a little bite to it. Yeah, um, I never heard his vocal in this particular place before. It's got sort of a, a Stevie Ray Vaughan, Texas blues kind of tone to the guitar, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, your point about the lyrics, I mean, they're not the greatest. One of the ones that stood out to me was, every way she's a winner, turn a gay preacher to a sinner. That's oh, not yeah. That's yeah. not a keeper. Um, so, yeah, it's just a wanton song about a woman that he wants. And 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 in this case, I think it's Maite. And, and there's those little female moans in the mix and those little cries in the mix. It's not a favorite, but I don't hate it. It's just... It's just sort of it's yeah it's it's just a dumb misogyny song uh, that's and, all and and I will tell you as a little a little factoid those moans you hear are samples of our good friend Kim Basinger from the Scandalous Sex Suite project oh there you go so there you go I wonder if that upset my take ah nah she didn't mind nah she's fine she's fine. she's fine all right should we move on we should.
Let's move on to the second of the uh, unreleased or, or newly unreleased uh, tracks from the uh, hits number two. And it's a song called. Oh, you got mags every dippy dippy dope, but the whole damn nation got the same. The only flat to the B that's supporting not the president with government lane. Put me on a slow moving parliamentary hacking bandwagon. You can put me near the last in the grave. Every time you want it, I'll be live. Bring a date for me, computer, when it's over, press save. So you can be the president. Jared, this song asks maybe an interesting question, but I'm not sure if that's true. Would you rather be the president or would you rather be the Pope? Man, you know, I'm not sure. I think, uh, well, if if you're the Pope, you do get to live in Rome. That's cool. That's true. And you get, they have like a fancy vacation retreat place. I forget you get all that pizza. You can get all that pizza. You can get all the pasta you want. That's right. But if you're the Pope, you also have to, like, you know, be good all the time. Like, you can't, Do you, you know, though? Do well, you? I guess they don't. I guess they didn't all. But I guess they no, weren't all. But good. I'm with you. Rome is like one big Italian garden. It's like endless breadsticks, endless salad. You're just sitting there. It's beautiful. Cruising around on a Vespa all day. Vespa. Sure. Ciao. Ciao. That's right. Little Eddie is Arden. A little Eddie, yeah, a little Eddie, yeah. I, uh, I think, I think I'll be curious what your take is on this one. I'm about to say, sure. I think this is the most successful hip hop song he's created to this point. Um, I think it's got the most clever lyrics he's had in this particular arena. Um, I, they're goofy. I don't get me wrong. I think the lyrics are goofy, but they're kind of fun. You know, you can be the side effect. I'd rather be the dope. That's kind of a clever turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also by far. In, to my ear, the most successful use of scratching, the record scratching by leaps and bounds. And I think the chorus is, you know, the chorus has a catchy little riff to it. Um, I listened to it back like a few times back to back and I, and I found myself enjoying it. I, I like the line. I love the taste of unpredictable licks, both describing obviously sex, but also describing music, guitar licks and, he, you know, and him liking that. So, and his vocal is also in a very unusual place here. And I kind of like that too. So uh, that's my take on Pope. I do not like this song. Um, okay, yes. I was really surprised to hear you say this, honestly. I thought you would not. Uh, and to hear you say this is like one of his best hip hop. Um, well, and like, let me let me qualify that by saying, I think most of those experiments are very poor. Yeah. You know, I think I think most of the hip hop experiments are poor, but I think this one is more successful in that, one, we don't have Tony M on here, for example. Right. Prince right. is handling all the vocals himself. And I think that it's not being dominated by sort of an industrialized, you know, almost like a public enemy sort of sound, but without the skill or the or the subtlety of a public enemy. I think it's more stripped down. And yeah. so in that way, I also think it's more successful. So, like, don't get me wrong. It's not my favorite thing I've ever heard. Yeah. But I, that's why I think it's his most successful hip hop track. Just a couple of things I noted was, I, I mean, I, I my first note was it sounds fairly dare i say like a pedestrian early 90s r&b type of track to me Uh, nothing special about it fairly pleasant in terms of the groove of it but nothing like funky kind of dirty funky raw but just like pleasant okay right 
the thing I think I had trouble here, and maybe it just needs more listens. I, well, let me go back and say this. When, when I bought the three disc compilation, I I don't know if I ever listened to this song all the way through. It's it's yeah. I mean, it's not a Jughead bad type of rap song. Right. It's never nothing about it caught my ear to make me think it was interesting, frankly. That being the other to, to uh, add to that, I just never knew exactly what the song was, what he was trying to say with this song. I, the lyrics kind of confuse me. I don't know if it's they're just rhymes, you know, like, like and there's just some weird combinations of things. And maybe I'm just missing it. Right. Like I, I just noted here a couple of things. He says, call your girl named Sally and figure figure you were chilled. Then you find it. I'm the reason Sally's on the pill. OK, that's fine. What I'm what am I supposed to do when the present can't get nothing past? Find an alley, find an alley, undress Sally right in front of your ass. Okay, I don't know what that even is supposed to mean. Then he has this other run of lines where he says, who's the funky drummer with the crooked little sticks? He might have better luck if he was drumming with his dick. Um, I, To me, it's just like, I don't. I mean, Jughead might might have some better lyrics in there than that. So, well, so I, I, I hear that. I hear that. Let me just briefly counter by saying I can't believe I'm going to be the one defending it. But I think that. One, I think the song is more of a lark. I think he's trying to be goofy. Yeah. And and the other thing I think is that in terms of like what what is he trying to say? Yeah. Maybe I'm ascribing too much to this, but I think he's trying to say I'd rather be someone of a higher spiritual plane than oh, someone mired okay. mired in a political I, system where you can't get anything done. No, I you know what I I like that that that's a way more interesting take than I certainly was. To me, it's like. This is such a weird visual. If you if you took something as good as as um, Digital Underground's Humpty Dance, but took yeah. all the fun away from it, took his what was was it Shock G? What was his name? I'm sorry, Shock G. Pour Shock one out, for Shock, Shock, Shock G. G. He took his nose off, all the fun of it off, watered down the bass line, and just and, ma- and made it the song. That's what the song would sound like. Interesting. Like if, if you sucked all the funk out of it, it would sound like the song. <laughs> wow, interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, this is one I'd love to hear what the listeners think of Pope. I, I, I again, it's not that it's a favorite of mine, but I'm curious because we have such very different responses to it. I'm curious about that. Absolutely, love to hear it. Yeah. Well, let us move on. So now we're going into the B sides, the B sides, the fabled B sides disc. And like like we said at the beginning, we're going to do the first eight from this disc. So number one, the first track on the B sides is "Hello," which is the flip side to "Pop Life." Hello, Ed. Hey, Jared. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hello. Um, what do you think of saying hello? Do, are you a hello person, or do you prefer to say hi, or do you say more hey? Of a, or more of a hi. I'm more of a hi. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. You know what? I often find myself saying hey, like hey, hey, Ed, hey, oh, whoever. Yeah, I say hey a lot. Hey's good. Hey's good. Hey's not just for horses. It's all good. It's not just for hey, horses. But you love horses. But I do love horses, as does our boy here. What do you think of hello? What do you make of this track? Okay, it, it's, it pales against in comparison to, to Lionel Richie's song. Let's be honest. <laughs> fair, fair. Well, I love this is so good. I, I mean, you talk about. I mean, 
a the the vocals saying the the layering of the hellos to start yes. the song, and then that ominous bass. It just yeah. pounds and it pounds and it pounds, and then the keyboard hook comes in. Yeah, and you're it's like off and running from like it, it. There's no as soon as to me the like within two seconds you're like this song is killer. Like you didn't even. You didn't have to get into the song. It's already there. It's already in front of you. Like this song is just pumping along and it's amazing. Um, and he doesn't, <laughs> excuse my coughing. He doesn't do this too often in terms of the content of a song. He doesn't do a direct response type. He doesn't do a welcome to a terror dome, um, you know, response type of song like, like PE did or whatever. This is a rarity in Prince's catalog. And it's, I think it's fascinating because it's a fascinating historical document of this is his response to the whole "We Are the World" controversy that happened. I made that note. Yes, um, right, and it's right on the money. He's not being coy about it, you know. And for folks who we may have touched upon, I don't remember if we did or didn't, but you know, back when they recorded "We Are the World," I think it was at was it that what's the um, the Dick Clark? Is it the not the Grammys, but the American Music Awards? Yeah, they arranged to have that recording the same night because all the celebrities would be there. Prince, of course, was invited to participate. He said, "I didn't want to do it." Um, Prince's management begged him if he wasn't going to do it, not to go out that night because the press would go crazy that he wasn't showing up to, you know, help all these starving people in Africa. Um, certainly not a great PR idea. He ended up going out anyway. He yeah. goes out, the paparazzi follows him. His bodyguard ch- chick basically punches out or smashes a camera of one of the paparazzi Prince. And honestly, I think you and I talked about this. I, I think his PR personally, it hit his album sales for a couple of years after a couple albums afterwards. Like he, he was down. The media was after him after that. Like he yeah. became the real target after that, at that thing. So this is his, his response to that. And I think it's right on the money. I love the way he just talks it through. And I love, um, and, and this is probably his most personal song of the eighties. Cause it's, it's real truth. This is him pleading his case about what's going on with him, what he cares about. Um, I love some of these lines in here. Some of the lyrics I think are really great. I mean, there's this this run where he says, I'm not afraid to die. And there's these great backing vocals from Wendy and Lisa on here. I'm not afraid to die. They sing, don't be afraid because, because there's a better, a better place to go. Um, I eat what I want, whole wheat toast. And they sing anything's good in moderation, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> and I'm happy that's for sure. And then they, they get right into it. We're against hungry children. Our record stands tall, but there's so much, there's as much hunger here at home. We'll do what we can if you try to understand a flower that has water will grow and a child misunderstood will go hello. To me, that is like the perfect encapsulation of Prince being direct, clever, but yet giving us a mystique and a mysticism in the lyric. He pulls it all together. And this is a B-side. A B-side. I think it's an incredible track. Yeah, I I think so. I'm going to. I, I agree with you. I agree with you with a lot of this. Uh, let me start by talking about just the music for a second. It it, ha- it does really drive along. It's got a propulsive energy. And I'll be honest with you, when I first gave it a listen, I wasn't crazy about it. Okay. But it, but on repeated listens, it grew on me and continued to steadily grow on me the more I listened to it. So by the end, I, I probably listened to it four or five times. By that last that last listen, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, now I'm on board with this track. But it took me a little while to get into it for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, yeah, it's definitely a clear shot at We Are the World. I, I made note of those lyrics as well. And, and the thing I appreciate here is that, first of all, we know now, after the fact, that Prince was, in fact, a very philanthropic person. But he did it anonymously or he did it very quietly. He, he wasn't interested in the acclaim 
that came with that kind of work. And um, I also think he was someone who uh, didn't stand much for hypocrisy if he saw it. Yep. And so the hypocrisy of the moment of let's save these children in Africa, not that they didn't deserve saving, let us say, but when there are so many problems at home that need attention as well, uh, where is the where is the the moment for that? Yep. I think that that's that's well said. Um, again, not that people. I mean, we all have vivid memories of that. Um, of we are the world and Band Aid and and Live Aid, which was like one of the greatest musical moments of my lifetime and many people's lifetimes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but it also didn't solve anything. It didn't solve the problem over there, you know? Um, so there's that. I don't want to go off on a rant about that. But so, yeah, and, he, and he's also, as you rightly point out, he takes shots at the tabloid culture and the celebrity culture as well, you yep. know, in this track. Um, and uh, I think that uh, it is a... It is it is a, a clear shot across the bow. It is a B side. I kind of wish, and I, I would be curious to know what the you know the behind the scenes politics were about this, but kind of wish she had just thrown it out there as an A side. I wish she had just said like, "What do you, you think about this?" Know. You know, yeah. but maybe he wasn't willing to risk that. Maybe not. And I know I ran into a little bit of um, controversy within the little Prince world because I said, "What if what if the side two of Around the World and Day opened with Hello?" Yeah. Um, and people were not happy about that. But no, I think I think this would be in, it would have been interesting because I know how much Prince loved how quickly like James Brown pumped out material and other folks yeah. these singles. The Beatles did that in the 60s. Just, hey, here's a single. No album. Right. Here's with a it. single. Right. It'd be really cool to see this come out as just a, a quick response. So Absolutely. I think it's a great idea, Jerry. I'm surprised he didn't think of that. That would have been a really yeah. cool idea. Yeah. Well, I yeah. wonder if he did. And so, again, I wonder if someone talked. I wonder if Alan Leeds or somebody else said you can't. Or Warners. Warners might have just or said, Warners. we're going yeah. to let you do it. Because that would have been great. Just like an instant karma like Lennon did. Sure. Like, like let's record it and get it out there really quickly. But, yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I, 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 this is a great song in terms of just the drive of it. It's very revolution. Like has that revolution sound and feel to it. And it's such, it's such a historical document because of what it's talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and the next song we're going to go to is a song called 200 Balloons. Which was the flip side to Bath Dance. Yeah. 200 Balloons. When you, a um, couple things about balloons. One. Yeah. I'm always happy to talk about balloons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's going to be another one of our podcasts, Balloon. Balloon Talk with uh, Balloon with Jared, Talk. Which Jared we do that. all the Nahelium voice, by the way. The whole. Oh, absolutely. That's the only way to do it. Um, are you a big fan when you, birthdays, balloons, appropriate, needed, needed to be a part of that situation? Well, you know, I think balloons can be nice. Uh, but I, I do, I'll say this. I worry about the birds, you know? You let go of those balloons. Always worry about them too much. I'm always worried about the birds and that they're going to go up there and birds are going to get killed by balloons and things, terrible things are going to happen or the they'll pop and the plastic will fall in the ocean and some poor whale will eat another 50,000 pounds of plastic and wash up on the beach. And I'm just not down for that. Having said all that, my nephews, I have two nephews who are twins. They're now uh, nine, but when they were 
just little infants, they were obsessed with balloons. I guess a lot of babies are. And I have this photo of one of my nephews like watching. It's like he's just watched the balloon float up in the air for the first time. Mm. And the camera caught him in that moment. And he's looking at the balloon going like, <gasps> like it's the most amazing thing he's ever yeah. seen in his life. And yeah. that's pretty great. So that's a that's a pro balloon moment right there. That's That's pretty sweet, actually. I also enjoy a good balloon animal. Not that I can make them myself, but I'm impressed by people who can. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. Let's, let's, it was too sweet a moment. I, I didn't want to ruin it. So sure. what do you think about the song, though? What do you think about this song? Well, it's interesting. So this is a joke. So this is from, from the Batman Project. And this yes. is clearly a Joker song. And presumably this was this is from the sequence, if people remember the movie, towards the end when the Joker's got the parade. And he's got all these big, you know, like sort of Thanksgiving Day parade type balloons. And they're filled with deadly gas and everything. Um, and then it releases that gas in the air and starts killing people in Gotham City. It was replaced eventually with trust is what replaced it in the film. Yep. Um, a couple of interesting things about this track. It has the exact same drum rhythm as Bat Dance. It's exactly the same. The mm -hmm. drum pattern is the same. Um, there's some there's some nice sort of like vaguely twangy guitar licks in the background. It's a little frenetic. Like all the Batman work is a little frenetic. Um, there's those horns that come popping in. There's even like a little James Brown kind of grinding vocal at one point. Um, I don't, I don't dislike this, but it's not a favorite. I think I would have liked to have heard it in the context of the album. I kind of wish it was in the sequence of the songs and maybe I would have a, a different take on it in that way. What do you think about 200 balloons? What do you take on? I mean, I, I honestly surprised Burton didn't like this one. I, I thought this, yeah. I think this is a great track. I mean, to your point, I mean, Prince offered this for that sequence of the parade where there's 200 balloons. I mean, it's kind yeah. of on the nose. Uh, Burton said he didn't think it was appropriate. It wasn't, it wasn't the song that he loved. And then Prince, you know, delivered trust. And here we are. I, I mean, I love, I really like this song. I mean, I love the guitar work in it. You know, your point about the drum being like bat dance. Well, bat dance, you know, is more like the drum was pulled from here. I mean, Prince right, was, right. was, was just, you know, trying to, you know, merge a bunch of different musical ideas he had already established for the, for the album and right. that montage that he did. Uh, for the for the bat dance track, so that's why you're you're hearing the similarity there. Um, you know the bass line is great. I, I love the way you call you talk about the, how frenetic things are. I said the horn line's like a panic, like it's a panic. Yes. How quick yeah, that yeah. line's playing in there, do -do 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 -do. like it's 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 yeah. amazing. Um, I love some of the stuff he says at the end. Again, we we know we just came from with the Pope talking about Prince, maybe mixed results with rap. I think he gets really good when he kind of he's doing his own little braggadocious stuff at an end of a song. I think it works well here when he says this funk's going to cut so deep, it's going to touch your soul. This funk is so multi-layered. You can't stop me now. And he keeps saying, you can't stop me now. Um, yeah. I love it. And I love the guitar picking at the end. Um, I don't know if he's putting an effect on that guitar to make it even seem faster than it's happening. It's kind of like pitched higher, but yeah, I think yeah. that sounds good. I think there's just the soundscape here is such a good match for what that scene is. It's just, I, I agree. Just, I, I kind of marveled that that Burton just for whatever reason felt like God no not this song please give me something else like I just let me ask you this question it, would you have a different opinion on the Batman album if this track had been included I don't know if it would have changed my opinion so much if okay balloons had replaced trust because I don't I don't dislike I don't hate trust in any in right um, so yeah. But I mean, I always liked it. I, I just like the way it drives. It, it kind of marches through. It just, yeah. it just it just seems like such a great song for that particular scene. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Well, let us move on then to the next track, which is titled Escape. And this is the flip side to Glam's Land. I know that you long for escape in many ways. Well, well, Jared, can I mention to you, have you ever done an escape room? I've never done an escape room. Have you? Have you done one? I did one for a bachelor party in our, and in how our, was fair, it? For our fair city of Philadelphia. It was fun. I have to say in terms of a group activity and, it, you know, you'd love it because I don't know if you remember this, but I don't know if it still exists anymore. But down in South Philadelphia, there was, you know, these all had themes. Typically, those these escape rooms. Sure. This was right. an 80s themed escape room, ah. which I thought was kind of fun. You went in, of course, the workers, God bless them, were all in neon and big hair and tough, all tough beat. But to to show you the instructions or to get you instruction, they wheeled out. If you guys are old enough to remember this from being in high school in the 80s or late 80s, they wheeled out a TV with a VCR, right? <laughs> One of those things that you guys you saw in high yeah. school. Yeah. And they put it, they put a VCR tape in, and guess who gives the instructions? Max Headroom. That's pretty rad. And you went in and you started your first your first room to escape from was like a video rental store. Oh, that's cool. Pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That's fun. All right. Well, anyway. what do you think of this? What do you think of this track escape? Do you I want to escape from this track? Well, no, not at all. I think this is an interesting reimagining of the Glam Slam, Glam Slam song. I, we talked about Glam Slam, the single and the track when we did the Love Sexy album review, of course. And I remember talking about it and saying i thought the music was interesting the lyrics were ridiculous it seemed like a weird choice for a single this is a rare instance when i almost think the b-side was a better single than the than the a-side because i think it's more interesting i think it, it holds together better as a single than the the glam slam album track does i'm interested about this whole 15 minutes ain't enough that he that he pushes through as a as kind of kind of a th- thematic idea in this song. The guitar stabs are interesting. The horn licks are interesting in this, um, and I love some of his sort of the, this kind of um, aggressive aggressiveness in those lyrics. Like, don't get on a scale if you ain't got the weight. You know, it's more more it's more hard to love than it is to hate. Like, I love his approach, his posturing in this song. I mean, I actually think this is probably a a, a better a more intriguing release than it maybe even glam slam was in terms of putting it out as a single. Interesting. It seems like you agree. So go ahead, feel free. Well, so yes, I will say this, this doesn't even feel like a song to me. It feels wow. like an, it feels like an unfinished idea. Okay. For me, it never really coalesces into something tangible to hold on to. Okay. I mean, clearly it's, it is directly related to glam slam, which as we may recall, I am also not a fan of Glam Slam. Yep. And, and, but the fact that even the phrase Glam Slam matters so much more, like, like I, this is like Glam Slam Part 2. You didn't even have to call it Escape because Escape sort of doesn't seem to mean anything in, in terms of this track to me. I get no sense of what this is about or what it's for, except maybe it's just an extra long coda to the original song Glam Slam itself. Gotcha. So I listen to this and I, I kind of, it, it, it kind of baffles me. I sort of don't get it. I don't get why it's here. It just doesn't feel like a song. It feels like ideas that are not coming together for me. 
So that's I mean, my take on. No, I get it. I mean, sometimes you're just not going to see the vision clearly, Jared. Um, and that's fine. <laughs> you can't always, you can't always get into the artist's mind. Uh, you're right. I, I struggle. I struggle with that sometimes. <laughs> Speaking of that, we're going to move on to the next track, which is called Gotta Step Mess. Gotta Stop Messing About. Are you something to mess about? Are you a little mess abouter? I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that. Okay, question. sure. Um, so this was originally a non-album single, and then it was it was reissued as the B-side to Let's Work. Yes. Which I think is interesting. And I got to say, I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. It's got that, I mean, it's got a super 80s keyboard riff, right? It doesn't get sure much does. more 80s sounding than that keyboard riff. No. Um, and it, I think it's, you know, it's both a condemnation of a woman who's sleeping around and also the protagonist kind of pissed off that he can't have her. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. It's as simple yeah. as that. He, yeah. he, he wants her and she won't give him the time of day, but there's desperation in his wanting, which I kind of like. And um, yeah, man, those keys, I don't know. They're the whole song. It's funky and it's weird. And I like it. I like gotta stop messing about. I don't think it's like, you know, groundbreaking art, but I think it's a, I think it's a fun, weird little track. That's my take on it. No, I'm with you. I, I, I mean, my note was it's it's just it's a great example of the power of his Dirty Mind Controversy era songs. Yes, like yes. It's, it's a great it's another great example. So like you said, it's not necessarily the example, but it's another great example of what he what the material he was giving. I'm with you. Such a weird keyboard riff, right? That's it's so weird. Like, yeah. It just goes even a little higher the second time. Yeah, it just keeps yeah. it's just it's the modulation's insane, right? The guitar works great. I mean, and the lyrics, like you said, it's. And I could see where he was like, why would I release this or have this as maybe album material? Because it's it's in the vein of when you were mine, but it ain't it ain't you when you were mine. Right. But the right, content's right. similar. It's a similar yeah. type of idea. Um, and it's still it's well executed, it's it's well achieved, but it's not, it doesn't have that power of like when you were mine. So yeah, I, I agree. This one I totally get as being like, yeah, let's put it on a B side because it's a really great song, but compared to what I have on those albums like Dirty Mine album. I wouldn't replace any song in the Dirty Mind album with this. No, I, nor would I. Nor would I. No, yeah, so. no. I agree. I agree. Well, that takes us to the next track, which is titled Horny Toad, which was the flip side to Deletes. Ed, what is the difference between a toad and a frog? Can you break that down for us? Ooh. Um, besides the pronunciation and spelling? Um, uh, I like that there might be some question about the pronunciation. I like that that's what the supposition is. A lot. I know we've been struggling with, with pronouncing frog. I know we've all been struggling with that because it's spelled the same way. The frog? frog? And it's a lot? <laughs> Uh, I honestly, do you know that biology? I honestly don't know. Do you know what it is? I think I do. I think I think the difference is, is that frogs are uh, they live in water and toads don't. Mm. So they live on the land. They live on the land. They're, they are land. land. Okay, they're, 
They're landbound, I think. That's the difference. All right. Well, folks, write us in. Anybody out there who has any expertise sure. in this type of stuff, please yeah. let us know. I mean, I could also be grossly wrong about that. What do I know? Nothing. I mean, you have in the past. <laughs> what do you think of horny toad? <laughs> I think it's really interesting that he paired this with Delirious. Because um, they're, so di- they're so they're like cut from the same cloth, right? It's like... Exactly. Usually he... Usually... He, I'm trying to think of another example. We'll be able to keep we'll keep our eyes and ears open as we talk through the rest of these B sides, A sides. They're usually not. They don't sound anything alike. It's like a totally different type of track. Right. Um, but here, like it's similar. It's that kind of that almost Elvisy. Um, what's Vegas? I'm, I'm trying to think of what the way to describe the sound here. But it's a, it's a similar type of sounding song. Um, yeah, I think it's fun. I think it's light. I think it's it works well as a B side for Delirious. Um, it, I, I think it's really funny, you know, I'm um, like at the end where he says, you know, tell him, tell, tell that guy that you, you know, you live on the lily pad with your horny toad. It's just, that's the best line of the whole song. Yeah, I wrote it down too. It's Might funny as well pack his things. Yeah. It has that, um, you know, it has that sort of delirious, like it, I, I, I wrote here as a note. It's like if delirious and the song Jack you off had a baby, this would right. be the baby would be yeah. good horny toad. Um, and my question to you, I want to hear what you um, want to say about the, about the music, but, in your mind, which is which is better, a horny toad or a horny pony, which Prince talks also about, about in the Diamonds and Pearls era? Well, I think I'll say this. I think that a horny toad is probably easier to manage than a horny pony. I would agree. I just think that in terms of logistics, it's just easier to wrangle the horny toad than the horny pony. You know, you. I think you're right on the money that this is some sort of inverted version of Delirious, right? It, I mean, yeah. it very clearly is. And I'll say this. Something that I find personally interesting as a, as a music fan is um, when you are able to go through, you know, various, you know, catalogs of, of artists you like, and you can pick out songs that have evolved over the years so that like for in other words, let me put it this way. I wonder if Horny Toad was an early version of Delirious. No, oh, maybe. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like for example, the Black Crows are really famous for this. That they're they're hardcore Black Crows fans who know like they're 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 one of their hits is a song called By Your Side. That started out as a song called If It If It Ever Stops Raining, you know? Um, things like that. So songs morph and grow, and sometimes the artists will say, I like this riff, but what I just wrote and recorded isn't quite right. So mm-hmm. I'm going to keep the riff and then I'm going to evolve it into something else. That's something I find just sort of interesting. And so I wonder if Horny Toad is an example of that. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, I mean, it bops along just like Delirious. It's got a lot of energy um, that you live on a lily pad with a Horny Toad is a funny line. It's clever and witty. And then it's over. I mean, yeah. then the song's over. It's quick. It's barely there and it's done. So um, as a sort of curiosity, I think it's entertaining you know it's not again not a giant tower of of art but it's fun it's a fun little thing absolutely i'm with you there yep yeah all right so let's move on from that i mean um we move on from horny toads to feel you up i don't want your credit cards or anything you got feel you up is all i want to do what do you say let me touch your body babe let me feel you up Jared, I'm just going to just ask this question straight up. Yeah. 
I'm not even going to try to make any type of. I like how you swerved on me there. You swerved on me there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I fill you up. So this is another Batman flip side. This was yes. the flip side to Party Man. And uh, fill you up. I think this is interesting. I mean, this song, it's got a groove to it. Yeah. And I think it's got some of that Camille vibe, right? Yeah. And and that makes me feel like it's a throwback to that era and makes me wonder if it wasn't from the Batman sessions, if it was from the Camille sessions and sort of. It is. It's actually from the Camille project. Oh, it is. Okay, great. Yeah. See how yeah. I knew that just by the sound? Are you yeah. impressed? No, that's that's impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> You're learning, my friend. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it slinks along in a filthy kind of way. And he, he does this thing. He does this every once in a while. He breaks into his like pseudo British accent a little bit, sort of. Mm. Uh, and some of the spoken word stuff. It's just, it's very slight, but it's there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't think that lyrically it's anything particularly special, but I like how the track feels a lot. It, it makes you, it makes you want to move. It makes you want to move, right? Yep. It makes you want to feel you up. I mean, I don't want to feel you. I mean, if you want to be felt up. Anyway, what do you think of this track? I, I, I like it too. I mean, I, I think the, um, the percussion's so interesting on it because it's just it kind yeah. of looks like it's almost like a sound of hitting a bunch of different bottles, like sized bottles, like like the way it, oh. it kind of rolls through. So it has that kind of interesting um, percussion underneath it. Um, I think some of the lines are interesting. Like I love what's the verdict? I don't like suspense. How can you resist my burning touch? Um, and he keeps repeating these certain lines, like something about the you walk just really blows my mind. I never wanted somebody so much. Now again, these are pretty. I hate to say standard, but standard lines for Prince. But adding the Camille voice makes it just a little more interesting. There's something about the Camille character that gives this a little bit of it's it's a nice mix of like danger, almost like humor. But there's like a mix of things happening when you get Camille involved, which I which I really I really dig it. And the horn line is just killer on this. Like he's I agree. And then the era of his songs here again is another great horn line in there. Um, so now I'm a fan of it. I think it's great. And then I love, even though he, and I love when he does this with certain songs, he'll use the Camille voice. So he has that, that, that effect on the voice, but then you'll get into like, he'll break it down, go back into the horn in the sort of the middle of the song. And just with his regular voice, just really raw go, come on, baby, come on, let me yeah. you up. Like, it's just such a nice gut shot. Like after having that high voice kind of ride the rest of the song. So yeah, I'm a fan of this. I think it's, um, it's a great, it's a great little track. Again, I'm with you. it's not like like a monumental piece of like art, but it's just another one like you're like, wow, what another cool, really great song that he wrote. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. All right. Well, then moving on, we have the next track, which is titled Girl, which was the flip side to America. Ed, this song features the revolution. It does. It does. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of this one because it, it. I don't know if there's anything else in this catalog that sounds quite like this one. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. But, but, go ahead. Keep going about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just really, really unique. The synth below it is so weird. And it's and yes. there's like this springy. This is what I wrote down. And, and again, only 80s folks will remember this, but we'll, we'll talk about it. Maybe we post something about it. There's a springy keyboard bass that sounds to me like Qbert, the video game. 
the way it kind of like springs. Wow, cubers! I haven't thought of yeah. He would jump. He was a little jumping thing. Yeah, he's a guy who jumped around on these cubes, and like there's this weird springy sound to the song. Yeah, it's it's just so interesting, and it just plays underneath it all. And Prince is singing in this kind of hushed tone, but there's like a passion to it. There's underneath it, and I love even though there's a spring springing happening that drives the song along. It stops. The motor's still running underneath it all. And he breaks and just says, I want you in the worst way you make me. And then it just there's an ellipsis there that hangs. And then he just starts singing girl in his in the gorgeous falsetto. Like, I, yeah, just, yeah. it's a this is a song that I wish was on an album because I just yeah. think it's such an interesting track. And again, there's nothing in his catalog that I'm aware of that I would say, oh, yeah, that sounds like girl. You know, like I just can't. And even his stuff, um, like. Again, this is we're back in Prince mysticism time back in the era this came out because this is back around the world in the day, per, right. post Purple Rain. And even his stuff, when he said, like, press the flower, warm, warm, bring it to the garden, be poetic, tell me what it feels like. And then I love he says, a sea, elect- a sea of electricity. Well, that's great to hear. Like, I love that he says that. Like, I just think yeah. it's, it's, I, I really, I'm a big fan of this song. I think it's a really cool song. It it is a cool song, and you're right. The, what I, what I wrote was that there. I mean, uh, similar, just a different f- phrase. I said there's like a wavering quality to the sound. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's like a, a, a like a like a um, heat coming off the road. It's sort of like wavering back and forth in front of you, and yeah, um, yeah. it almost feels it almost feels like there's an audio problem with the track. There's not. It's what they intended, but it's just it's sort of odd that wavering sound kind of bends in and out. Um, his vocal is great. It's in that middle range of his, which I really, really like. And then there's those little, I call them little lollipop key parts, those little lollipop yeah. sounds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and that play against that deep rhythm of the bass and the, and the four, four time of the track, which I think is really interesting. The, the spoken word bit. And you know, I'm usually not a fan of that. It bothers me less here mm-hmm. because it's so odd, I think. Yeah. And, and much like you, I love that phrase, the sea of electricity. That's yeah. a great yeah. phrase. It's really great. Um, more baths. Prince loves a bath. We know that he loves yeah, a bath. Um, and it definitely does feel around the world in a day ish. And I think that's part, mostly because of that wavering sound and those little candy cane pipes that are, that are going off in the track. And I agree with you. I, I think, I think I would have liked to have had this be on around the world in the day. I think if it had been, it may have, um, you know, there were some people as we know that felt like that album maybe didn't go far enough in exploring right. psychedelica. And, and I think this, this track would have uh, helped maybe change their minds on that. So yeah, I'm here for it. It's, 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 it's very, very interesting. It's a very interesting song. You know, and I would love to, like, this to me would have been like a double A sidey type of thing, like a Beatles, yeah. whole, like, um, uh, Cherry, Penny Lane, Strawberry and, Fields. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think this could have been, I don't know if it, I wouldn't necessarily paired it with America, but it is, I mean, it's hard to say with Raspberry Beret because I think it's, uh, she was always in my hair, which is a great song. We'll get to that in the next episode. But like, right. I could see this be paired up in a way that it would like be like two A's. To a I agree. I agree. Yeah. It makes it actually makes me think that I kind of wish, given the material that it was producing at the time, that Around the World in the Day was a double album. I know, man. It'll be yeah. fun to see when the um the estate ever gets around to maybe doing a deluxe edition of that album. Maybe there's a lot of stuff they're gonna put in that will that's make- that's what I hope. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Cool. Let's move on. We have one more song to go here for episode one. I hear for the hits and the B-sides, and it's a track called Another One from 
our Batman project, which we weren't able to get the actual singles on this, but we were able to get, able to get some B-sides. This one's called I Love You and Me. When she making love, it's like surgery And she say, ooh, I love you and me Jared, what, yes. do you think, what do you think of this song? There's a couple harmonies going on in this one. Yeah, there's a bunch of harmonies in here. This was the flip side to Arms of Orion, which is, of course, we know your favorite song of all time of Princess. Flip it! Um... um <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I, I I I do really like where the vocal is here. Um, I like where it's sitting. I'm not sure some of the lyrics. I'm not sure what this line means. When she's making love, it's like surgery. I wrote the same um, thing down, Jared. I don't know. What yeah, that means. I'm not. I, I, does that mean she's precise? Is that what that means? Like, I'm not sure what it means. I'm assuming um, she wears a mask. I, <laughs> that must be it. Staying safe. It was prescient yep. this song. It's really prescient. Yeah, he was ahead of his This is always ahead of his time. Always yeah. ahead of his time. Um, and the other thing I vocally, I think the song is most notable because of the vocals. And he also goes really low in his range. And then a couple of moments towards the back end of the song, yeah. so low that he can't even quite get the notes out, yeah. which is pretty cool. So I, I do think this is an interesting song. I think it's a better song than Arms of Orion. You know, it's yeah. it's less freakly. It's less obviously playing for a hit. I don't mind Arms of Orion like you do, but I do think it's a better track. Uh, what do you make of it? Uh, same. I mean, obviously, if we were to do like a flip it, I would say we'd flip this this A, a side, B side here. Um, I mean, but I'm with you. The lyrics would make it challenging to be a radio hit. Um, you know, um, I, I had the same note about the lyric about the surgery. Like, what what does that mean exactly? I mean, the harmonies are insane. I remember always playing. I'd play the song all the time because I just love to try to work through the harmonies he was layering here because they're just so, so good um, with those harmonies. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a really nice R&B song. Like, it's, it's just it's a real solid song. And I remember uh, just a quick personal note. I would play this in my house back at the, around the time, you know, this, the B-sides came out in the 90s at my home and I'm playing it. And my mother says, what's he saying in the chorus? <laughs> and say, oh, mom, he's saying, I love you and me. They love both of them, himself and his partner. <laughs> so that was my right. that was my quite clever cover for what what this what the song was actually about. Very. That was a good. That was pretty good. That was a pretty good cover. Of course, your mom is in the next room right now as we're recording this, so the jig is up all these years later. But that's okay. That's okay. No more. Okay. No worries there. All right. So that's going to do it for the first chunk of the B sides uh, in the unreleased tracks. We're very excited about it and glad you're going to join us. And then next week we'll do. Yeah. What are we doing next week, Ed? Well, listen. Here's what we're. Here's my plan, Jared. I hope you. I hope you feel good about it. We're going to do another twelve songs. <laughs> They're, they're another 12. Well, they're not all B-sides. We have a couple other unreleased songs and some of them pretty. Are, awesome. are these your unreleased songs? If, they're, if if it's if it's your unreleased tracks, I thought we talked about this. We weren't going to. Well, we're going to we're going to I'm going to play that Dirty Sock track that I was talking about earlier. We're going to play that. <laughs> Um, that I, that I, I it's a girl inspired who by Horny Toad, the Dirty Sock track. Inspired dirty by song. Yeah, I don't know why the, the girl didn't stay. She wasn't impressed when I gave that to her for her birthday. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, we're going to do the 12 more tracks on the B-sides. That does include a couple unreleased tracks along with some of the B-sides and some of them pretty amazing, impactful unreleased tracks. Um, so we're going to do that. We'll also do um, our categories, Jared, right? We'll do those as well. 
We will. Yeah, we'll do all of our categories. We're going to break down our favorite, least favorite, most interesting, track the shows of the future. I think that's going to be a fascinating category when we get to that one. Right. And we can probably spend a half a second talking about the album cover. And then we'll, yeah, like a half a second. A and then, of course, as always, I will come back with a, a tantalizing little question for you. Um, and we'll also going to give a shout out. We had, we had a number of folks who killed it in our couple of last episodes and, and got those questions of you uh, trivia correct. And we want to give them uh, the notice they deserve and the credit they deserve for coming up with those correct answers. That's right. We're very excited at all the responses we got. So people will be getting some shout outs for getting the answers correct. And we'll, we'll send some swag folks way. And uh, we're very excited about that too. So uh, join us next week for part two of the B sides. And uh, until next time we say, See you later, and may you live to see the dawn. dawn. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.